Well, good evening. My name is uh, Dan Nielsen, and uh, as the Apostle Peter in Luke 9 says, uh, Lord, it is good to be here, and it is truly good to be here with all of you this evening. Um, my wife, Michelle, is uh, in the back with my mother-in-law, and I've got some other friends and family here. I want to welcome all of you this evening, and all that are on the live stream, welcome as well. Uh, as Pastor Rich mentioned last week's Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Rich and I served on staff together <clears throat> years ago at Faith Bible Church, and I can tell you it was truly a privilege and a joy to uh, serve alongside him, uh, John and Tina um, Seacotch, we were together back then, and um, Pastor Rich uh, sent me a text uh, about 15, eh, about 20 minutes ago. Uh, and he wanted me to let you know that he's, he was praying for this evening, and I'm sure he's praying for all of us. So um, I want to just, first of all, say something regarding this church. Uh, Michelle and I came here, the first week we came was when Pastor Sam Horn, or Dr. Sam Horn was preaching. And uh, I can tell you the welcome that we have received here, uh, the warm welcome that all of you have given us, is truly refreshing. And so I want to thank each one of you for that. Uh, we are, as I, I believe our, uh, what is our, our phrase or our motto? What would you call it? Uh, the church that God's love is? Building. building. Uh, we're experiencing that here. Um, the message this evening uh, is entitled, uh, a pat The Pattern of Pairs. And this is the first lesson in uh, a few um, and it's uh, entitled Back to the Beginning. Uh, when I was putting this together, this is actually the fourth title. Uh, the Lord kept changing it on me. And actually, uh, the passages that we're in tonight was not what I originally had told Pastor Rich that uh, the Lord had led me to. But we're here. Um, a, the pattern of pairs uh, was put in my heart because you'll oftentimes see in the Bible that God doesn't reference individuals as often as he references people together. Uh, he talks a lot about people in pairs or actually in threes and sometimes more. The book of Proverbs uh, uses pairs a lot and those pairs are oftentimes in a contrast. You'll see him talk about the wise man, the wise woman, the wise son. And then there's a contrast between the wise and unfortunately what's called the sluggard the mocker, the wicked man, the fool. So we see oftentimes God will contrast in those pairs. Uh, we see pairs such as Jacob and Esau's brothers. Uh, we see Mary and Martha. We see Paul and Silas as missionary companions. And we see Aquila and Priscilla uh, as husband and wife serving the Lord together. And there's many others. So tonight we're going to look at the first pair that the Bible talks about. We're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to be talking about Adam and Eve. And so if you would turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verse 27 and then we're going to pray and I'm going to pray that the Lord's going to lead us. Um, as you turn there, which shouldn't take too long since it's near the front, um, I just wanted to make uh, you all aware that we're going to exercise our Second Amendment rights tonight, and we're going to be rifling through the scriptures. So, uh, John, are you with me on that one? Okay. Genesis chapter 1, let's read verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have gathered together tonight and we gather in your name and the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we can gather together freely. And Father, my prayer tonight is that this message, the words that are spoken, would, but would not be mine, but would be yours. 
And Father, I pray that you would open each heart and mind that is here this evening and those that are watching. Lord, that uh, hearts and minds would be open to what you would have for each one of us. Lord, uh, your word is the same. But Father, it impacts our, our lives and our hearts and minds differently. And I pray, Lord, that tonight this message and your words would penetrate us and we would leave here tonight glad that we came and encouraged to live our lives more and more in accordance with your will for us. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Before Adam and Eve were created, God tells us here that he had a plan to create them. Notice this is chapter one. Adam and Eve are not created yet. But God says in chapter one, I have a plan. And I'm gonna create man and woman. You see, we did not come into existence by some random act, some progression over time. It, we just didn't get here by luck. David says in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know it full well. If you think about our minds, the human mind that we have, and all the intricate parts of our bodies, how all of it has to work together in order for us to function, in order for us to do the things that we do, this can only come together, brothers and sisters and friends, by the work of an omniscient, all-powerful God who has manufactured us according to his plan. You see, the core problem that scientists have and mankind has as they try to explain at times away God's creation, the core problem is that we weren't there. We weren't there when God created it. Therefore, anyone who tries to attribute our existence by something other than the fact of creation, the design and manufacturing of our God, is merely speculation or theory. What does God say? about his role in creation. John 1.3 says this, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God makes it clear that he has made all things and apart from him, what was made? Nothing. Psalm 89.11 says this, The heavens are yours and yours also the earth you founded the world and all that is in it. In the book of Job, God says this to Job in chapter 38, verses 3 and 4. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And for the next four chapters, God gives Job a list of all of what he, done in, he did and had done in creation. And after four chapters of Job hearing, God tell him what he did to create you and I in this earth and the world. Job responds in chapter 42, in verses one through three. Job says this, <clears throat> Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. After Job heard the voice of God and the words of God, he admits that only God is the expert on the topic.
So we go back to Genesis 1.27, and God tells us, as the creator, that he made us in his own image, which means that God made us in his likeness. God made man in the likeness of himself. However, underneath it, God is in authority over man. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to go and look at verses 4 through 7. Genesis 2, 4 through 7. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And in verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into the, his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground. God wasn't given a sketch. He wasn't given a drawing. He wasn't given an instruction manual. There wasn't an Adam and Eve coloring book with Adam and Eve outlined in it that he just filled in, sighed and stayed within the lines. Think about this. God made man out of the dust of the earth. He not only manufactured it, but he designed it. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17 verses 24 and 25 says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. For he himself gives life and breath and everything else. Let's look at verses 8 and 9, the next two verses. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice in verse 8 that God reminds us again that he formed Adam. He then places Adam in the garden. God places man where he wants him to be. God is in charge. God is the authority. In verse 9, we see that after God plants Adam in the garden, he immediately provides for the physical need for food that Adam has. He plants all kinds of food trees that Adam can eat from. Notice that God says the plants and the trees were pleasing to the eye. He not only planted trees that Adam could eat and have his life sustained by, but they were pleasing to his eye. God wants us to enjoy his creation and the beauty of it. Michelle and I, my wife and I, were in uh, Hawaii on the island of Kauai two summers ago. And we visited Waimea Canyon State Park, which is a tourist attraction that has what's called the Waimea Canyon in it. Uh, this canyon is referred to the Grand Canyon of the Pacific. And when we drove up to this attraction, there's a short paved walk that we had to uh, walk down. And then it takes you out on a lookout, like a platform. How many have ever been to a lookout? To look out? Yeah. We stepped out on this lookout. This canyon is 14 miles long, 
3,600 feet deep, and it has vegetation in it. It's not just a barren rock. When I walked out on that lookout, and I looked out at that canyon, it almost took my breath away. I have, I have never seen anything so beautiful in my life. Can you pull up that next slide? I think we got a picture of it. Don't have it? Okay. Um, use your imagination. <laughs> when I looked out at that, and I would tell you that I'm not one that gets, gets overwhelmed with uh, looking at, at things. When I looked at it, I saw nothing but the hand of God's creation. It was like the biggest painting I have ever seen looking out at that. Unbelievably beautiful. Later uh, on that trip, Michelle took a picture of a sunset. I wish I had it here. But uh, she got a picture of a sunset that looked like a postcard, an absolute postcard. Uh, God's creation is so beautiful. And I was thinking about that. But yet, you know, we don't have to go to Hawaii to experience the beauty of God's creation. I was at a gas station filling up, I don't know how long ago, some time ago. While I was filling up, it was early evening. The sun was setting. And I looked up in the sky and I took a picture. And I rarely do this. But that sunset was so beautiful. How many of you have ever seen a sunset that just is absolutely beautiful? Do you see the hand of God in that when you look up at that? I have to confess, when I looked up at it first, my first thought was, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And it took me a, a minute or two, and all of a sudden the Lord said, Dan, do you know why that's cool? Because I made it. I painted that for you for you to enjoy it. So I want to encourage you, uh, enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Let's go to look at verse 9 again. I want to look at the back half of that one. Let's read it again in verse 9. It says, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then he says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees in the garden. Let's skip ahead to verses 16 and 17 for the sake of time. And let's see what God says in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God talks to Adam. But God is also instructing Adam here. He instructs Adam on what to do and what not to do. You see, God wants the best for us. And when he talks to us, whether it's through his word or whether it's the spirit of God speaking to you when you're praying or whether he's speaking through a brother or a sister who's giving you proper instruction, we need to listen to that because God wants the very best for us. He wanted the very best for Adam. And if you, if you look at this, God has a desire to talk to his creation. He wants to have fellowship with his creation. Exodus 33.11 says this, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Wow. God spoke to Moses as a man speaks with his friend. Back to Job, in Job chapter 29, verse 4, Job says this, Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, 
when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. We sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear, and what a privilege to carry. Can anyone finish that? Everything to God in prayer. God wants us to have fellowship with him. He wants us to speak to him, and he wants to speak with us. Let's move ahead to verse 18 in Genesis 2. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. God tells us that it is not good for us to be alone. And just as God desires to have fellowship with us, he has created us with the same desire to have fellowship with others as well. See, we're created in the image of God, and God wants us to have fellowship with others. It's one of the reasons we gather together as the church, amen? See, at the core of every person is the desire to be loved and accepted. God's put that at the core of all of us. We see examples time and time again in our world, tragic at times, of those that have thousands and thousands and thousands of fans, very popular, but are lonely. I want to share a story about David Cassidy. How many know who David Cassidy is here? Okay, can I get some hands up? Um, David Cassidy was born in 1950. By the age of 20 in 1970, he became one of the uh, most popular pop singers and frankly, one of the most popular pop stars in U.S. history. Uh, he played Keith Partridge in The Partridge Family. Uh, David Cassidy toured the United States and unbeknownst to me until recently, he toured several countries singing his pop songs, being adored by his fans, many of them being young, screaming girls. He sold out stadiums in several countries. He caused so much hysteria in a couple of countries outside the United States that they threatened to throw him out for, quote, they considered him a health hazard. <laughs> David... Cassidy tragically died of liver failure uh, three years ago in 2017. He had a long battle with alcoholism. Before his death, uh, David Cassidy said this about his alcoholism. He said, quote, I did this to myself to cover up my sadness and emptiness. All the superficial popularity, fortune, and fame doesn't fill our deepest need of a genuine love relationship with others and our deepest need for a love relationship with our Creator. Let's move on in Genesis and read verses 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Here we see God fulfilling his plan to create Eve. Once again, we see it's entirely the work of God because what's Adam doing while it's going on? He's taking a nap. He's sleeping. John MacArthur, uh, in his commentary on this passage, writes this, God is the original anesthesiologist. I didn't know if I was able to get that whole word out, but I, I thank the Lord we, I did. 
And God is the original surgeon. Notice that God doesn't make Eve in the same fashion that he made Adam. Adam was made out of what? Out of? Dust of the ground, right? Eve is made from one of Adam's ribs. Now, God could have made Eve from the dust of the ground, right? For nothing is impossible for God. Why does God decide to create Eve from one of Adam's ribs? Let's read verses 23 and 24, the next two verses. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now there's another sermon or sermons or messages within these two verses that we don't have time for this evening. But you see, Adam understood, as he says here, that when God created Eve, that the relationship that they were going to have wasn't going to be a casual one. It wasn't going to be just for now and, yeah, you know, we'll see you later. Adam understood that God manufactured Eve out of his body because the two become what? One. And he wants us to have oneness in our relationships. Especially the relationship with him. Jesus said, I and I, Jesus said, excuse me, I and the Father are what? One. And we see here that God institutes the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. So God now has Adam and Eve. He has them in the garden. They're living in harmony with one another. They can enjoy their relationship with each other and they can enjoy their relationship with their creator. But the next thing we read is a new relationship that Adam and Eve are going to build, which takes us to chapter 3. You turn to chapter 3, we're going to read the first five verses there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say... You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent, the devil, approaches Eve And opens the conversation with what? A lie. Asking Eve if God said she could not eat from what? Any of the trees in the garden, right? Go back. Did God really say, the devil said, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2, Eve corrects him. She says, no, no. We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God said we can't not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden because if we do, we're going to die. And what does the devil say next? You surely will what? Not die. Jesus tells us in John 8, 44, that the devil is the father of lies. And he has been sinning from the beginning. Let's read verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, 
and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. One thing we notice in the seventh verse at the end is that both of them are now wearing the plants in the family. John, help me with that. Yes, sorry. But seriously, we, uh, what we see is we see the fall of man right here. Falling from, per- from perfection. Let's go move on to verse 8. We're going to read through 13. We're walking through these passages together. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I want to move ahead to verse 17. If you'd move to 17 with me. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. And the curse which we heard about in the, this morning. And at the end of verse 19, look at the last of verse 19. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. God reminds Adam that he gave him the commandment not to eat from the tree. God told Adam not to eat from it before Eve was ever created. The commandment was given to Adam, not to Eve. God made, makes it clear to Adam. He said, there is one tree that you may not eat from Adam. One tree. All the trees that I have planted, you can eat from any of them. But this one tree you can't eat from. So Adam couldn't claim that, you know, there was just too many trees and I just happened to eat from the wrong one, you know. I don't know, there's a lot of trees that you said I couldn't eat from and some I couldn't. I couldn't really figure it out, Lord. No, God says one tree. He couldn't say that he kind of misplaced a list of which trees not to eat from. One tree. And God makes it clear which specific tree Adam was not to eat from. So Adam couldn't possibly use the excuse that he had It wasn't his fault. He didn't know which tree he wasn't supposed to eat from. And the other thing that God does is he makes it very clear to Adam what the consequences are if, in fact, he eats from that tree. He tells Adam that if you eat from this tree, you will what? You will die or surely die. Adam had no excuse. Even though Eve ate first, when we go back, Adam was with her. Adam was there with her. Adam is responsible for sin. 
And God tells us because of his disobedience that he will die and return to dust. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. This is why God tells us in Matthew 1 that his sinless son, our Savior Jesus Christ, was born of a woman, but not of a man. God makes it clear that Jesus was born of a virgin, but the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and she became pregnant through that event. And then God specifically states that Joseph had no union with his wife Mary until after Jesus was born. No doubt that Adam was not, or excuse me, that Joseph was not responsible for Mary's impregnation and the birth of Jesus. Because otherwise, Jesus would have been born with a sinful nature. But he wasn't because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Let's move ahead to verse 21 in Genesis 3. And we're going to wrap this up in a few minutes. Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And he clothed them. God tells Adam, all this is yours. Do not eat from that tree. And Adam disobeys. And yet, God takes care of Adam and Eve. Do you see how much God loves us? Do you see it? God takes care of us. So what do we do with this information this morning? There's good news. There's good news. If you're here tonight and you don't sense the presence of God working in your life, God wants to have fellowship with you. Reach out to him. He wants to have fellowship with you. But if you're here tonight and you don't sense God's presence in your life, it might be because you're not a child of God. And I want to share this with you tonight. Number one, we need to understand that our sinful nature passed down through Adam leads us into sin and separates us from God and banishes us from heaven. Romans 3 verse 10 says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands no one who seeks God. Number two, we must understand and need to understand that we need to have our sins removed in order to be declared righteous and be reunited with God and have the hope and assurance of heaven. Psalm 51, 1 and 2 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Number three, we need to understand that there's no amount of good deeds that we can do 
There's no amount of works that we can do which will remove our sins. Romans 3.20 says this, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Observing the law is good works. You see, because no matter how many good things we do, our sin is still there. When I was lost without Jesus Christ as a young adult, I'm kind of a math guy. Any math, people like math in here? Not many hands going up, that's okay. Um, if you'd have asked me when I was 20 years old, I gave my life to Christ when I was 25. But at the age of 20, if you'd asked me if I was going to heaven, I was, ra- I was raised in a religious home. I'd have told you no. Because of the math. I said, heaven's a perfect place, which means how many sins are there in heaven? Zero. And I had sin. So I said, hold on. If I have sin, and God lets me in with sin, heaven's not going to be a perfect place anymore. I'm going to wreck it. Just like that old adage, if you find the perfect church, leave it because you'll wreck it. Uh, Same thing with heaven. Our sins have to be removed Number four, we need to understand God requires a perfect substitutionary blood sacrifice for our sins to be removed. Let me say that again. We need to understand God requires a perfect substitutionary blood sacrifice for our sins to be removed. Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Hebrews 9.22 says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The blood... Now we get to the good news. You ready for some good news? Everybody watching, you ready for some good news? We need to understand that there is good news. God sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to be the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 7.26 says this, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is, talking about Jesus, holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The sixth thing. We need to understand that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, died, rose again, and on the third day, enabling our sins to be removed. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says this, For what I receive, I pass on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now if that doesn't put a smile on your face this evening, brothers and sisters, I don't know what will. Hebrews 9.14 says this, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansing our consciousness from acts that lead to death. Number seven. We need to understand that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and shed his blood for our sins because he loves us. This book is a love song. 
given to God to you and I. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, can you finish it? Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. Number eight, and finally, we need to respond to God's love for us and for what Jesus Christ has done for us. What's the response that God requires from us? We must repent of our sins and make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. It's not merely an acknowledgement of what Jesus did, but God wants a transformed and changed heart. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, the old is, and the new has, praise the Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, but it is with your mouth that you are confess and are saved. Brothers and sisters, in order to experience the transforming work of God in your heart, you've got to acknowledge what Jesus has done Confess of your sins, which means I'm going to turn away from my sins. And say, Jesus, I want you to take the wheel. I want you to be the Lord of my life. That is the good news. So what do we get from the garden? We see the fall of Adam and Eve. But God had already had a plan because he knows all things that he was going to bring his son And those that will truly respond, confess, repent, and make them Lord of your life, we can be reunited with God eternally in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have opened up your word this evening and we have heard from you. Father, I confess before you myself right now, I don't know what the needs are, what's going on in the minds of every person here and every person watching. But Father, you do. And Lord, I pray for those here this evening and those that are watching, that if they would die right now, they would die today, that they know that they're going to heaven. And Father, for them, I pray, Lord, that this message would touch their hearts and their minds. Because you remind us in your word, Lord, that neither he that plants nor he that waters is anything, but only God, you who makes it grow. Father, I pray that you would touch the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters here this evening and those watching. But Father, I also pray for those here this evening and those watching that either haven't understood that the only way to heaven is through a profession of faith, confessing their sins, Acknowledging what you've done for them, but making Jesus Christ your son, Lord of their lives. And Father, if there is anyone here this evening that uh, you have touched, I pray right now 
that you would speak to them. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if there's anyone here this evening that hasn't confessed their sins and made Jesus Christ Lord of their life, but through God speaking tonight, understands it and wants to give their life to Jesus Christ as Lord, would you slip up your hand if that's you tonight? If that's you, I want to pray with you and pray for you. For brothers and sisters here tonight, if there's anyone that the Lord has just touched your heart and your mind, and you said, you know what, Brother Dan, I've been feeling distant from God, and I don't want that. I want to be close with, with God. Would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for touching our hearts and minds. And I pray that each one of us would leave here tonight uh, as I open saying, Lord, it has been good to be here. I pray that uh, you would bless them, that you would lead them, and Lord, that you'd love them. We thank you for our time together this evening. For it's in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we gather. For it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.